Pastor Xavier Reese and the true victor. It's at the end of the Millennial Kingdom. Satan surrounds the holy city that Ezekiel speaks about there, okay? It's very clear. Jerusalem, the beloved city. The plight of Satan and his followers is defeat. Fire comes out of heaven and devours them. You don't have to read the last pages of the Bible to find out who wins. Read the first pages. Genesis 3.15 says that the Messiah crushes the head of the serpent. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One common denominator that unfortunately runs a thread through families, friends, and even nations is conflict. Is there a solution, or should we all just live and let live? Today, Pastor Xavier digs up a solution, a solution that was set in motion long ago. Let's join him in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, for today's important study. Revelation chapter 20, we're going to look at verse 1 all the way to chapter 21, verse 8. And the message is entitled, The Final and Eternal State. We have seen the millennial age described by Ezekiel, and it's literal. It lasts a thousand years. The earth will go through a renovation, bringing about abundance of the earth. The ferocity of the animal kingdom will be reverted to the pre-Adamic state. The child will lead a lion, play with a serpent. The nation of Israel will occupy the kingdom age, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. Those who survive the great tribulation and accept Christ will enter into that kingdom. And Jesus will rule as king, priest, and prophet, possibly with a co-regency of David, delegated through other rulers and governors as we've seen in our study. So there's so much that we've learned about the millennial, the thousand-year kingdom. Right now, we want to be able to understand what happens after that. Ezekiel doesn't tell us, but John gives us that in Revelation. And so we want to hook up, trailer on it. After the millennium, there will be an eternal state, but there must be a purging of three things prior to the inauguration. These are the three that we're going to look at right here. First, the judgment of Satan, Revelation 20, 1 through 10. Secondly, you have the judgment of the unbeliever, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And then lastly, the judgment of the earth, Revelation 21, 1 through 8. It's in chronological order, as we'll see. Let's begin here. The judgment of Satan is first given to us, verse 1 through 10 of chapter 20. Notice first, in verse 1 through 6, that Satan has been bound for a thousand years. We've seen this in our study of the millennial kingdom. The time is at the beginning of the thousand years, the millennial kingdom. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit, and with a great chain in his hand. The angel has the keys to the bottomless pit, the abuso, which is the shaft in the earth where demons are bound. Revelation 9, 11, and 17 has told us that in the book of Revelation. Satan is bound with a great chain under divine authority. Notice the time is temporary. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Again, a thousand years. No mistake. The fourfold identification 
means he's the destroyer, the deceiver, the accuser, and the adversary. That's what those names and titles mean. Satan. Notice the time is to remove his evil influence in verse 3. And he cast him into the bottom of the pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. It's very clear. It's just, it's so descriptive that you can't miss what he's saying here. Satan will be bound. Satan will not control the nations during the thousand years. We've seen this. Here again, John confirms it. He will not deceive the nations. Why? He's bound for a thousand years from the beginning to the end. He will not be able to accuse nations. All nations are deceived today by Satan. Uh, he's the God of this world, the prince and the power of the air, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 2. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ, and you think you're your own person, you're deceived. You're following Satan without knowing it. All of us were at one time. He has good moral pagans to corrupt people from A to Z. Notice a time fulfilled result in his release. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Underline that. This is at the end of the thousand years, the millennial kingdom. He's bound at the beginning. He's let loose at the end. This is only for a short time. The tribulation saints that are beheaded, verse 4 and 6 tell us, for their faith, live and reign with Christ during the millennial kingdom, being priests of God and of Christ, the second death has no power over them, being blessed to be part of the first resurrection. So those who have survived the tribulation, the beheaded, they reign with Christ. Here it tells us very clear. Many times people ask the question, what happens to them? It's right here. Now, notice when you get to verse 7 and 9, Satan will lead his final rebellion. In verse 7, Satan will be released from his prison when the thousand years have expired. John is very, very purposeful in what he says. He's not trying to bore us. And Satan will go out to deceive, verse 8 says, the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sands of the seas. Now, Gog and Magog are not the same as Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. We have seen this very clearly. We've seen the comparisons. We're not going to belabor it. Ezekiel 38 and 39's battle of Gog and Magog is at the beginning of the tribulation. This is at the end of the thousand years. This is the context. And too many people we've seen put it at the end and they make them the same. They're not. Two different battles. This is Satan leading the nations of the earth, all of them. And he says that his followers are as the sands of the sea. Multitudes. Look at verse 9. They went up on the breath of the earth and sounded and surrounded the camp of the, of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now, this city that he's talking about in verse 9 is the city of the millennial. It's at the end of the millennial kingdom. Satan surrounds the holy city that Ezekiel speaks about there, okay? This is right at the end. And notice the place of attack is very clear. Jerusalem the beloved city. Who's in that city? Israel. The Jews. The land is divided. The plight of Satan and his followers is defeat. Fire comes out of heaven and devours them. You don't have to read the last pages of the Bible to find out who wins. Read the first pages. Genesis 3.15 says that the seed of the serpent 
the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, crushes the head of the serpent. God tells you from the beginning. Now, this should silence the sociologists and psychologists once and for all for blaming the evil environment upon the problems of man. During the millennial kingdom, Jesus is reigning. Satan is bound. Perfect environment. Now, there's still sin nature through those who occupy. There's still death. But when he lets Satan loose, the majority of people, as the sands of the sea, follow Satan. What is the problem? The environment? No, it's the heart, Jeremiah 17.9. Your environment only facilitates you and helps you to be a good sinner. But it doesn't make you a sinner. You are a sinner. Your environment only proves that you're a good sinner. You're committed. Notice verse 10. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire then. The place is the final abode of the rebellious angels. The devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, that the lake of fire or Gehenna was created for Satan and his angels, not for any man, and yet the majority of humanity will be there because they rejected the gospel. This is his own place created for him, his angels, due to the rebellion against God in heaven. Now, the tense indicates it was, is already in existence, ready to be occupied. We don't know where that is right now, but it's in existence. Notice, still in verse 10, the place is the final abode of the Antichrist and the false prophet, where the beast and the false prophet are. The beast is the Antichrist, and the false prophet is his PR man. They both have been there for 1,000 years because they have been cast there at the beginning of the 1,000 years. So they've been there for 1,000 years already, okay? Now, notice the place is the final retribution for evil. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The purpose is punitive by the word tormented. The period is forever. The ages of ages, perpetually. He has no competition for God. The judgment of Satan will take place before the eternal state. Right at the end of the thousand years. You can hook this right at the end of chapter 48 of Ezekiel. This could be chapter 49 of Ezekiel. Now, secondly, notice the judgment of the unbeliever. Verse 11 through 15 of chapter 20. In verse 11, the particular event is called the white throne judgment. Now, the white throne judgment is distinct from the Bema seat of Christ. John here in 11 says, Then I saw a white throne in him who sat on it. The Bema seat of Christ, as you know, is for the believer at the rapture of the church. He will go before the Lord to be judged for his works, the motives of his works, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Why I did it, how I did it. If it wasn't out of agape, love, and obedience, then I get no reward. But yet I'm saved by fire because I'm saved by grace through faith. So there's a distinction between the Christian's judgment and the non-believer here. The white throne judgment is for the unbeliever at the end of the thousand years to recompense them for their Sins, plural. The one on the white throne is Jesus, the judge of all mankind. Jesus said in John 5, 22, for the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son. The white throne judgment is the prelude before establishing the new heaven and the new earth of the eternal order. 
for from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. It's all chronological here, what's happening. The millennial kingdom was a renovation only, removing the curse of the ground and the fierceness of the animal kingdom. Isaiah 65, 25 is very clear in that. Sin nature and sin was still present in man, and death still occurred. A child died at 100. Isaiah 65, 20 says he died young. This new eternal order eliminates all of this, as we'll see. You must make that distinction. Notice verse 12 and 13. The particular event involves all who have ever rejected salvation, the judgment of the non-believer. The persons are the dead, small and great. Small and great in economics or social status, no one will escape. God respects no one. The position of the people is standing before God. See, some people today, oh, I don't have to give account. I, I live my own life. I'm accountable to myself. No, no, you will stand before God. You and him, no one else. I and God, no one else. People today don't believe that. They think they just cease to exist. That's it. And that's why they're trying to grab all the guts where they can. And they think they're grabbing all these things, but they don't realize they're grabbing a snake by the tail and it turns on and bites them. If you're in the world long enough, you understand what the world's like. You know where your depravity's like. You know what the world offers you. It's like cotton candy. It looks so big, looks so sweet, you put it in your mouth and it's gone. And then you get a stomachache. The permanent record of their lives is in books that were open, notice. And another book was open, verse 12, which is the book of life. The books contain their works, their deeds, their sins. Nothing will be omitted. God does not need any report from anybody. The book of life contains those saved. These individuals, their names are not found. The book of life is mentioned by Paul in Philippians 4, 3. John mentions in chapter 3, verse 5, 13, 8, 17, 8, 12, 20, 12, 20, 15, 21, 27, 22, 19. The book of life. Is your name written there? If it is, it's because you've accepted Jesus Christ. You've repented from your sins. Not join a Christian club, but your life is transformed. Notice still in 12, the people are held accountable for their lives. The dead are judged according to the facts written in the books. The places that give up the dead are identified in verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who are in them. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26. And as you compare scripture, you see Paul's right on target. The last thing to be cast is death, to be destroyed. Right here, John confirms that. Scripture interprets scripture. As you know, Hades in the Greek is a word that means the temporary place of the unseen departed, appearing 11 times in the New Testament. And 10 are translated hell in our English word in the King James Version, the old one. And all of them are identified either from the mouth of Jesus or prophetic of Jesus, by the way. Only one time is it translated grave, and that's in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. The Old Testament equivalent of the word Hades in the Greek is the word Sheol in the Hebrew. And that also is a place of the departed spirits. In the Old Testament, the righteous and the wicked went to 
Sheol. The word Sheol appears 65 times in the Old Testament, and it's translated in the Old King James, grave 31 times, hell 31 times, pit three times. By the way, the word is used again, prophetic of Christ. Let me give you a psalm, Psalm 16.10. You will not leave your soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see or undergo corruption. Peter quotes that in the day of Pentecost, by the way. So as I said, all of the uses in the New Testament come from the mouth of Jesus directly or affiliated with the fulfillment of prophecies regarding him. Notice the people are said to be judged justly again, each one according to his works. No one will get short change. There will be no mistake in that judgment. We have to fear that here and now, but not when you stand before God. Not one non-believer will pay for one more sin than they committed or one less than they committed. It's a scary situation to think that I would have to pay. I mean, you guys don't know me. You guys know me as a Christian. I know who I am, though, even as a Christian. I'm still a creep. And if it isn't by the grace of God, I'd be walking in my flesh. But I know all the things I did. I would not want to stand before God. Who can stand before God? If you think you can't, please stand up. We need a good laugh this morning. Hmm. No one is compared to anyone else. Isn't it interesting? No one is held responsible for anybody's sin. It's you and God. Now notice verse 14 and 15. The particular event results in the casting of three things into the lake of fire or Gehenna. The first to be cast in is death, beginning in verse 14. Death is first mentioned by God as he warned Adam, remember? Not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The prohibition communicates a clear consequence. Literally it says in Genesis 2, 17, dying you shall die. The minute that Adam and Eve partook, they died immediately spiritually, separate from God. And immediately following, the physical death began. And they kept on dying to the day that they died finally. The minute a child is born, they begin to die. But we don't celebrate that. We celebrate their births, but really, it's the first day of their death. You understand? And they keep growing, they're dying, 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 and one day, boom, they die. The same with you, the same with me. Exactly what God said. Some die at 10, some at 20, some a day after their birth, some at 100. But there's a process, and then there's a finality, the ultimate act of death. Hades is the second to be cast in the lake of fire. Notice. So death first, then Hades. As I explained earlier, Hades is the Greek word for the temporary place of the unseen or departed, appearing those 11 times in the New Testament. And the Old Testament equivalent of Hades is Sheol. Both of them are describing a state of conscious existence. Please make you understand that. When a person dies apart from Christ, they are conscious. They don't cease to exist. Purgatory and limbo is an invention of the Catholic Church. It does not exist. It's the imagination of evil people who want to merchandise people. Tekel was the guy who invented the coffer. They needed to raise money to build all their cathedrals 
throughout Europe. And he says, the minute your money hits the bottom of the coffer, your loved one is released from purgatory. What a bunch of liars. What a bunch of money-hungry people. They have not changed. Amazing. The lake of fire is where rebellious man and rebellious angels will be separated for all eternity then. Gehenna and the lake of fire are the same place. They're used synonymously. You remember that Gehenna is equivalent to the valley of Tophet in the Old Testament, which signifies the place of burning, which was the place of idolatry where they sacrificed to the god Molech and they sacrificed their children to his red burning arms. Uh, Jeremiah 7, uh, verse 31, 32, uh, throughout Kings and Chronicles, it, we get over and over again. In fact, Josiah cleansed the land, you remember, in that Reformation of the worship in the Valley of Gehenna and Tophet, and he turned it into the city dump. And when Jesus spoke about Gehenna, he used that city dump in the Valley of Tophet, right there, the Valley of Gehenna. He says, where the fires never quench, the worm never dies. And he uses that as an illustration of Gehenna. Torment. Now notice, at the end of 14 and 15, those not found in the book of life is the third thing that is cast into the lake of fire. Death, Hades, and all who are not found in the book of life. Death is identified and qualified for us. This is the second death. Underline that. The second death is the result of the second resurrection. Eternal separation from God cast into the lake of fire. The first resurrection includes all who have trusted Christ for salvation. Old and New Testament. Revelation 25 through 6 tells us even includes the tribulation saints who accept Christ. Okay? You don't want to be in the second resurrection. The first resurrection is for the believer. The second resurrection is for the white throne judgment that we're talking about here. Christ is the first and everyone else after their order, being continuous, ongoing. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23. In other words, if you leave the service here and some yahoo comes down the road and kills you, you're instantly present before the Lord. The resurrection is an ongoing resurrection. You go to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. Immediately present before the Lord. You understand? That is why there is a blessing in the fifth beatitude of the book of Revelation because the second death doesn't affect the believer. Eternal spiritual death. Revelation 20, verse 6. If you didn't know there was beatitudes in the book of Revelation, there are. Pick up the studies. We looked at them. They're great. Now look at verse 15. The confirmation of their separation is stated. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into where? The lake of fire. Does it say he ceases to exist? No. Like a fire. He keeps repeating himself. Do you think he wants to bore us? Or to emphasize the clarity of it? Found in the book of life. Anyone refers to all who have rejected the gospel. Anyone refers to all who have refused to repent of their sins. If you have not repented of your sins, if you are not transformed, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will go to hell and ultimately the lake of fire. Do I say that with the smack of the lips? Do I say that? No, you don't have to. You can go to hell, but you don't have to. You can go to heaven if you believe Christ died for your sins and you call on his name. 
The book of life is the register of the saved who have trusted him for salvation. Pastor Xavier Reese and the difference between eternal life and eternal death. The choice is yours. Don't miss the next edition for more from this study. But if your schedule won't permit you to join in, you can pick up a copy of this message on CD for only $4. The title to ask for is The Final Eternal State. And make sure you pass on this study to a friend or a loved one. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Final Eternal State, or simply mention today's date. Now, please address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. When it comes to sharing the gospel, what's our responsibility? Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 